0: So, having uh, established our framework, now we begin for the next couple of weeks testing or proving that framework. And so, uh, the first proof I have for you this morning, and do this: it, Did you grab the bulletin on the way in? If you got a bulletin on the way in, open it up, and inside you're going to find some sermon notes or some sermon on the mount notes, whatever, whatever you want to call. Them. All right. But, uh, but, but here's where we're going to start. Now, some of the things in those notes I've actually typed out for you. Because I talk really fast, and sometimes it's hard to write all those things down before I move on to something else. Sometimes you just have a blank, and that means you've got to write really fast, or you're going to, you're going to miss it. So, uh, But, but here's, here's where we're going to begin this morning, with really this first proof, and, and, and this is what we're saying. We, we know that we've been divinely enabled to fulfill the Sermon on the Mount because we have participated in the New Exodus. We know that we have been divinely enabled to live out the Sermon on the Mount because we have participated in the new Exodus. In the new Exodus. Someone said to me, uh, Well, Pastor, how can you be so sure that we can do these things? How can you be so sure that, that this text is calling us to live these things out? How can you be so sure that those other approaches are wrong? Because they sound a lot easier. How can you be so sure that this is really Jesus' heart and that this is what He um, has for His people? And, and I, I, would, I, would, I would stand here. I would stand here on this proof. I would stand here on this case that Matthew and other New Testament writers make so eloquently throughout the New Testament. And this morning, it's just my aim to present that case to you and what that case should mean for us. And so let's begin with the birth of Christ. I think that's where the, the, the case for the new exodus really begins, with the, with the birth of Christ, okay? Uh, I'm going to give you three things. By the way, this is a much stronger case than what I can present in 30 minutes, okay? Uh, the, the, the contextual evidence throughout the New Testament for this case is so strong. I'll give you a, a couple of things. I'll, I'm only giving you three steps here. There's, there's like one more, okay? So just know that it's there. You can go start digging for it and looking for it when you see kind of where we're headed. I'm going to give you three that I think are really, 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 really strong. So let's start with the birth of Christ, okay? Um, Number one, the the case begins here. That Jesus, like Moses, was born while a ruthless king was on the throne. That Jesus, like Moses, was born while a ruthless king was on the throne. And here's basically how this this case begins. It begins to draw a parallel between the life of Moses and and the life of Jesus, and there's a great intent there in the minds and the hearts of the New Testament writers, okay? And so we'll begin here with uh, the book of Exodus chapter 1, if you'll turn there with me. Let's let's read what was going on when this uh, man named Moses was born. Exodus chapter 1, starting in verse 6. Now you'll know at this time that Joseph, of course, was sold into slavery by his brothers, that He ended up in jail and then uh, in Pharaoh's house eventually. uh, He was over all of of Pharaoh's kingdom. Basically, he was the second in command. You remember as he interpreted that dream that there was going to be seven years of, of bounty and seven years of famine. And he prepared all of Egypt for those seven years of famine. And so when the rest of the world was starving, they were coming to Egypt to buy grain. And that was because of how the Lord was using Joseph. And you remember his brothers eventually came to buy grain. And he reveals himself to them and says, Listen, what you meant for harm, God meant for good. And he says, Go home and get God and bring him. And so the whole family uh, ends up there. And there the Israelites, Scripture says, just flourished. They multiplied greatly. They, they, had, they had complete free reign and access under Pharaoh. But when Pharaoh died. A new king took his place, and this new Pharaoh was not quite so happy with the Israelites. In fact, he looked at them and said, listen, if we don't do something about them, uh, they're going to overtake us. And so Exodus chapter 1, starting in verse 6, I think that's right, starting in verse 6, it says, "Uh, now Joseph and all his brothers and all the generation um, there, but the Israelites were fruitful, and they multiplied greatly, and they became exceedingly numerous so that the land was filled with them. And then a new king who did not know about Joseph came to power in Egypt. Like he said to his people, the Israelites have become much too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies and fight against us and leave the country. Now, uh, pass ahead to verse 21. 22, I'm sorry. Verse 22 uh, of chapter 1. It says, Then... Pharaoh gave this order to his people, every boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. It's into that environment that Moses is born. And God supernaturally intervenes and saves his life. Of course he ends up being raised in the palace of Pharaoh. Now, turn to Matthew chapter 2. I want you to hear the environment into which Jesus is born. Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 16. It says, When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all of the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity... Who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. And so Matthew begins his presentation of Jesus as the new Moses here. In fact, if, if you read on in, in uh, Matthew chapter 2, verse 20. It says uh, later that after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, here's the phrase, get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. Ready? And and, and underline this part. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. And and, and that that phrasing there is is almost word for word, the phrasing that we found in Exodus 4.19 when God tells Moses to go back to Egypt because those seeking His life are dead. In fact, if you looked at the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint, you would notice that there are just minor tweaks to that phraseology. And people would say that what happened is that those that heard this originally and immediately would have thought back to Moses. Because it's just plain word for word there in the Greek. And the angel of the Lord takes the words that are originally spoken by God to Moses and applies them to Jesus as if somehow saying, Jesus is going to be like Moses in a sense. And Matthew picks up on that and he begins this case. Now, I want to tell you, there, there's more there. We, we can go on from the birth. Again, we can, we can talk about uh, the, the, the prophet, uh, what is it, Hosea, out of Egypt, I will call my son, that's there. And, 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 and again, now, now both Moses and Jesus are coming out of Egypt. We we, we can talk about all these things, but I'm just going to begin here with the birth, okay? The second thing I would point out to you as as Matthew makes his case is that he would teach us that Jesus, like Moses, went up on the mountain to deliver God's law to his people. Jesus, like Moses, went up on the mountain to deliver God's law to his people. Matthew chapter 5 Verse one says, "Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. He went up on a mountainside and sat down. Jesus ascends the mountain to deliver his authoritative interpretation and applications of God's laws to his people. Now again, this wording, this wording in the Septuagint, this wording in the Greek Old Testament is is word for word what they use to describe what happened with." Moses, that Moses ascended Mount Sinai. In fact, this per- particular phrasing got only occurs three times in all of the Old Testament. Three times in all of the Old Testament, this phrasing, that he ascended the Mount three times. Every single time it's talking about Moses, and every single time it is dealing with God's law. Every single time. And, and, and again, Matthew is, is just picking up on... on, on is and and what he is doing and he's presenting this case and and, and again I would would expand here and say any Jewish male, and and that's because those were the ones that were trained in the law any Jewish male that heard or read these words would have immediately thought of Moses it it, it wouldn't even be a question now I could go on and on in the Gospel of Matthew Uh, scholars would would, would look at Jesus walking on water and, and Moses crossing on dry ground. Uh, they, would, they would look at Jesus feeding 5,000 and, and Moses feeding from, with matter from heaven. They, 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 I, mean, I mean, there's time and time again in the book of Matthew, but I want to present what I think might be the strongest case for what early church fathers believed about the connection between Jesus and Moses. And that's found in the book of Acts chapter 7, if you want to turn there. The book of Acts chapter 7. Uh, as you know, we just finished Acts, and at this time... Acts chapter 7, the church is a brand new church. I mean, they have just begun. The Holy Spirit has just come. And, and uh, we're going to be dealing with Stephen and his speech before the Sanhedrin. He's about to be stoned to death. And before he is, he, he really lets us in on what early church fathers must have been teaching about the relation between Jesus and Moses. I mean, if, if you wanted to step back in history and see what the earliest Christians believe about this connection, this is your window right here. This, this is the window. And so uh, Acts chapter 7, starting in verse 20, is where I'll pick up in, in his speech. It's a great speech. You can go back and read the whole thing. But he begins talking about Moses here in verse 20. And he says, At that time, Moses was born. And he was no ordinary child. For three months he was cared for in his father's house. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Of course, he was placed in the Nile. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his fellow Israelites. He saw a lot of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his de- uh, defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize. this. Y- y- Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them. Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting, and he tried to reconcile them by saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner, and he had two sons that were going to be here for a while. After 40 years, he passed 40 years ago, an angel appeared to Moses in flames in a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. And when he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. And as he went over to look more closely, he heard the Lord's voice I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And Moses trembled with fear, and he didn't dare walk among Go to 51. It says, "...you stiff-necked people. with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the Righteous One. And now you have betrayed and murdered Him. You who have received the law that was put into effect through angels have not obeyed it. When they heard this, they were infuriated and killed Stephen. What's the point of all that? What is he saying? Stephen is showing us that early, early church fathers, early Christians, the first people to call themselves Christians, believed very much that Jesus, like Moses was a rejected Redeemer and Deliverer. That's what he's saying. He, he, he's going back and he begins with this great case of Moses and then he says, listen, Moses said a prophet like me is coming but you rejected him. And now you've rejected the one he spoke of, Jesus. It's, it, it's the best clue as to what early church fathers really believed about this relationship between Jesus and Moses. Now, what what, what does all that mean? What's the point of all that? What's the point of this case? Ready? Here it is. It's to show us that Jesus is the new Moses. It's to show us that Jesus is the new Moses, that He is Deliverer, that He is Redeemer, that He is Savior, and and that's not on this slide, and to show us that failing Jesus, in following Jesus, and in trusting Jesus. That's the new exodus. Just as they had to trust and believe in Moses and follow him, and that was that was the exodus. That trusting and believing in Jesus, that's that's the new exodus, and that's that's what we're talking about, okay? Now to, to fully understand this, we have to understand a little bit about the Jews. Alright? I understand this morning that um, the Jews uh, looked at Moses in a very different light than we did. Remember, Matthew is fairly Jewish, and he's writing his gospel to Jews. And and, and so if we want to understand um, kind of who he's writing to, we kind of got to get in, into their shoes a little bit. Now, when yeah. we think about Moses, um, we, we, we have a tendency to think about Charlton Heston. Let's just be honest, right? Okay? Moses, and, and, uh, and so when we think about Moses, we, we think about the Ten Commandments, right? That's what we think about. We think about when we say Moses, when you're Moses, we think lawgiver, well, okay? Lawgiver. That's the guy that gave us all the rules. That guy, the ten rules that we can't break. That's who Moses is, right? The thou shalt not. That's that guy. That's who he is. That's how we, okay, as New Testament believers, kind of think about Moses. Now Jews, though, think about Moses very differently. Because the Jews remember and they had these great old stories that were passed down from the you know from the lands and rails of grandparents and I want you to remember that, that Pharaoh got so hot, he got so angry that he got his entire army together and was going to slay us. And the only thing that, 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 that we had between us and safety was this great sea, and they were pressing around us, and we thought, surely God, you haven't brought us here to massacre us, and one Moses, that man of God had a hysteria over the sea, and I'll tell you, I've never seen anything like it, that was his power, and God said, and it was as if the water was just being held back invisible God and why all of us walked through and dragged out in the moment we stood foot on the other side as the chariots approached our telling that that God went back those waters and he washed them all away, and our enemy was destroyed. You see for them that's who Moses was. Moses was their deliverer. Moses was their redeemer. They became God's people again because of Moses. Moses was their Savior. That's what we've got to understand about who Moses was. And what Matthew along with the rest of the New Testament writers would tell us is this. Jesus, Jesus is the prophet Moses spoke about. Jesus is the new Moses. He is the Better Moses. He is the higher and holier Moses. Just think about his name, if you will. Right? How far did Moses make it in his pursuit? How far did he make it? Did he make it to the promised land? Who made it to the promised land? Do you remember that guy's name? Joshua. You know what Jesus' name is? You know what Jesus means? It means Joshua. Jesus means Joshua. Jesus is the better Moses. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise. What Jesus will do for us is conquer sin and death and break every chain that bounds and heal every broken heart and cure every disease and lay us into God's eternal promised land. That's the promise. That's the promise. That's what the New Exodus is all about. So what what does that mean for us? If you could pick up on what I just said, here we go. There's some good news in here for you and I. Number one, it means that Jesus came to lead us on a spiritual exodus. What exodus means? Departure. Jesus came to deliver us, to lead us out of slavery. Have you studied the book of Exodus lately? Do you remember why God kept going to Pharaoh and saying, Let my people go? That was the message of Moses. God told Moses, God Pharaoh. And so, let more people go. That's God's thing. Let more people go. Why did he say that? He always you followed know, up with this phrase: so that they can worship me. Guess what? When you're enslaved, you can't worship your Creator killing you. <laughs> when you're held in bondage, you can't worship God. Right? And so, Jesus comes. And Jesus comes to break the chains of slavery that we have in Ephesians 2. As for you, you are dead transgressions and sins and what you used to love when you found the ways of the world and the rule of the kingdom of Israel, the spirit that is now working those that are disobedient at one time we all found him right at one time we were all held and so at one time we were held captive but Jesus has come to lead us in a spiritual access right so that we can worship God so that we can worship God number two means for us is that Jesus came to rescue us. Moses went to Pharaoh and he said, listen, I'm telling you, God says let my people go. <laughs> Jesus has done very much the same thing. He has come to rescue his own. He has come to look in the face of that big boy, that liar, that thief, no Satan. And he said very much the same thing. has broken the power of sin that held us in slavery. He's broken. I thought about the Exodus. I thought about all the things that we've talked about. I thought about the, the power of God on display through the plagues, the power of God on display through the crossing of the Red Sea, the power of God on display is, as He brought manna from heaven, as He took care of His children. The power of God on display is that, that massive, supernatural, pillar cloud led them out of Egypt. I would come down amongst them at night in the middle of a cold desert and keep them warm. I thought about the power of God on display and all of those things. And then I thought about the cross. The power of God on display. When Jesus said, I tell you, it is I think we miss that a lot. I think we miss the powerful moment that that was in the history of humanity, that Jesus finished perfection, that He paid for it, that He was buried, and then He conquered death, that He ascended and then He sent His Spirit so that we could do the same. What does all that have to do with the Sermon on the Mount? I'll tell you. Alright? Now, Mother not this type of righteousness described in these three chapters in Matthew is impossible. Impossible on your own and by yourself. It's absolutely impossible. It's impossible for someone that is, is a slave to sin. It's, someone, it's impossible for someone that's a captive of Satan to be a righteous person. Can't do it. It's impossible. But, of Jesus. Those that have put their faith and trust in Him. Those that have been redeemed and delivered. Saved from the bondage of slavery. Right? Those people whose chains are gone. Those people. Let's go to the next one. Those people have the freedom to live out that circle. The free, hear me, before they didn't even have an option. Before they didn't even have an ability. Before they couldn't even have the thought. Before they were enslaved and captive to the rule of this world. Before they were, they were oppressed and pressed down. Before they had no body. But Jesus has come and taken them on a spiritual exodus. Jesus has come and broken the power of bondage that held them free. Jesus has come and said, "Follow me, my children and I will lead you in a way everlasting. That's what Jesus has done. It's the new exodus. And friends, we can live out this righteousness described in the Sermon on the Mount because if we are on Christ, we have participated in that. And when you read the book of Exodus and you think about the glory of God on display, then you just think about your life in Christ. Because that's exactly what Jesus has done for you. He has gone to the dark king of this world and He has said, you will let my people go. He has defeated Him in power and He has led His children into an eternal promised land. And if we're in Christ, that's where we are. Would you guys pray with me?